But maybe this is just a matter of maturity because if you look at um, other industries, they have gone through the same phases, right? But if you look at, if you compare with the e-commerce industry today, uh, no one will, would start building their own checkout system and platform and, and, and shopping platform, right? You would just buy something off the shelf. Okay, welcome back to the Exito Playback Podcast, the podcast bringing you the latest industry news, trends, and tech advancements in the OTT and video industry. My name is Stanley Auger, and as always, I'm joined alongside my fellow co-host and colleague, Neil Van Zyl. And today's a special episode, so I'm going to cut right to the chase. We have our co-founders of Exito in the room. Joining us today, both Michael Lance and Frederick Anderson. Thank you so much to both of you for joining us. It's We've been, you know, dreaming of this episode for a while now. Uh, a lot of time, of course, going into this in the prep, so we do appreciate that. Um, before I say anything else, though, I'll let you guys introduce yourselves. So maybe, Michael, we can let yourself kick it, up, kick things off. Uh, well, thank you so much, Stanley and Neil. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on this uh, podcast. Um, uh, we obviously remember when you guys uh, pitched uh, the idea of the podcast, uh, which we fully support. So. We're uh, excited to be on it uh, for the first time and maybe other occasions as well later on. Uh, I'm Michael. I'm uh, the CEO and uh, one of the co-founders of, of, of Exito. So I've been with the company for now, um, well, closing in on 20 years. Yes, thanks for hosting us, guys. I'm Fredrik Anderson. I'm also co-founder. I'm currently the SVP product, uh, heading up the Exito One product within Exito. That's fantastic. Thank you again both for joining us uh, today. Really looking forward to today's episode. We're going to hit a whole bunch of questions. I think we're going to start from the very beginning. Of course, you know, the beginnings of where Exito started. And then we're going to, of course, arrive towards some of those questions related more towards the industry, OTT and, and video, and sort of where things are today in the business. Uh, let's start really at the top. How did the two of you meet? We actually met uh, at a, we worked together. A former company, so um, Frederick interviewed me. <laughs> yes. No kidding! Wow, uh, mm -hmm. but that was a long, long time ago. Uh, that was a management consulting company. Uh, we're doing lots of work for telcos and operators and media companies. And I guess uh, we've found found a similar interest in in uh, media and telecom, uh, which was a hot area at the time with all the interactivity that was coming along and lots of uncertainty and opportunities. So uh, we, we actually met uh, 1999. Um, so uh, when, when I was interviewing for, for this uh, management consultancy, which Frederick was a co-founder of, um, and uh, for those of you who weren't part of the, the industry back then, it was a, a crazy time um, with uh, plenty of activity and obviously at the time, uh, one of the reasons why, why we did found Exeter was the um, emergence of the broadband internet. And nowadays, it's obviously uh, you know completely standard. Everyone has a broadband internet, and you may not know anything else. Uh, but back then, you still have dial-up internet. And Sweden, uh, where we started the company, was one of the pioneers in broadband internet, driven by um, uh, government subsidies and uh, startups uh, building on that uh, technology. So it was a good sort of uh, um, initial stomping ground for us to try out ideas, both as management consultants and later on as uh, entrepreneurs in the tech ecosystem. Awesome. Thank you. So this is definitely not your first collaboration. You have been working together for quite a few years already then. Yes, when we started Exceeded, we had done uh, uh, quite a few work together. That's, that's, that's true. So how were the first few years of Exceeded? Yeah, so um, I remember when we did our first business plan. Uh, so of course, being a sort of former management consultants, uh, we started out uh, producing a 50-page uh, document uh, before we started to do anything. Completely the wrong way to go about starting a company. <laughs> but. Uh, that's that's what we did. But uh, it was worse. We actually did multiple. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> because we weren't sure about, about exactly what the company would do, so we did multiple <laughs> business plans. Um, 
but nice. uh, that's what we enjoy. Um, but anyway, uh, when we started, uh, we obviously had a bit of a naive picture of running a company. So we assumed that we would raise money. We do a prototype, raise money within uh, six months or so. Uh, and then the sky was the limit. Uh, and in practice, it took, took about two years before we could raise seed money and uh, about three years before we raised our sort of real VC money. So it took a long time and those first uh, three years was of course um, sweat equity, if you, if you put it like that, no salary, a lot of um, consulting uh, work to fund the development of the first product prototype, uh, which was actually doing something completely different to what we do today. but was still sort of something in the TV space, um, what we started out with. Yeah, we were lucky that we had the, the opportunity to, to work as management consultants on the side. Otherwise, uh, it would probably have been tricky to get off the ground. Step one, if you're starting a business, write a 50-page thesis, right? And then, yeah, get going. <laughs> That's awesome, right. guys. <clears throat> awesome. So um, when, when you hit that growth stage, that growth phase, um, what were your key guiding principles to growing a business? And how would how are you able to stay positive and maintain profitability through a turbulent economy? Um, it's a great question. Uh, I, I think if I just bring my perspective uh, to it, uh, and then you can, you can add, Frederick. Um, so, uh, I mean, in a sense, of course, the first uh, hurdle that we, we met was funding the company, right? So those uh, first three years were, were really difficult and, of course, challenging for our family and, and so on. Uh, but what it taught us was sort of the, the need for uh, buffers, if I put it like that, right? So anyone running a company or starting a company uh, everything takes longer time than you originally expect. Um, and uh, without those sort of buffers in the business plan, buffers in the, the cash flow plan, we wouldn't have made it this uh, far for sure. Um, when you negotiate with um, companies funding your, your uh, own company, uh, of course, it, it will take longer time and they know that they can negotiate with you as well uh, during those uh, difficult days. Uh, so I think that's what I've learned uh, to make sure that you have those cash flow buffers to, to manage the company in a good way. Um, we um, uh, had an, another, the second tricky situation was post the global financial crisis. We were supposed to raise money in Q4 of 2008, uh, which was a complete disaster. Uh, we had um, good progress and then uh, we had the Lehman Brothers uh, hit in September, I believe, and, and then we have the, the, all the other challenges. So uh, at that point in time, we, we had to make a decision of, of uh, going directly to being cash flow positive. So Frederick and I uh, removed our salaries again, and uh, uh, we, we um, uh, scraped along for a, a year and a half uh, before we could raise money and, and grow it again. Uh, so I think those were important lessons uh, at the start of the company, those first five years. And then the explosive growth happened afterwards. But we can take that in a, in a couple of minutes. What, what are yeah. your memories from that time? Yeah, well, maybe for the audience. I mean, we are not the, uh, for, for good and bad, the typical uh, stereotype of the entrepreneur, maybe, because we're a bit more risk averse due to our background. So um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's probably played as well in this, in this sense. Um, yeah, so I, I would uh, risk averse. Yeah. I, I would put it as more realistic yeah. in terms of our business plans yeah. and and, and, yeah. and way forward. But a typical uh, entrepreneur is all you know. Everything is possible. There. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what I think, if we're going into that that sort of era of explosive growth, um, so fundamentally uh, the analysis we did in that fifty-page business plan document <laughs> that we we uh, did already in two thousand and four was correct it's just that we we were uh, a bit naive about the timing so uh, and then of course it took a bit longer with the global financial crisis but in 2009 suddenly everything sort of came together uh, if you will right um, we had uh, good enough speeds in the broadband networks uh, devices were suddenly available uh, with you know android and, and iphones and the smart tvs and so on 
And uh, even more, suddenly there was a, a pressure on the media industry to evolve beca because these new companies were emerging, uh, the, the Netflixes of the world, putting pressure on them to change. Uh, and I think all of those things happen at the, ar around the same time. So that, that was when we sort of changed from sort of being a relatively small company, growing relatively um, slowly uh, to suddenly doubling in size every year for the next three or four years. Yeah, maybe she'll just recap that the, the thesis was really that the living room would be connected and all, all the devices in the home would be connected to the broadband. And uh, you would have the possibility to run what we called applications at the time on these devices. And the first few years, very few understood what we mean, I think. So I think we were also helped by Apple and, and some of these other companies, timing-wise, when apps came on the table and app stores became sort of a, a mantra that really helped us push along. Yeah, so, so over 20 years with this business plan, was there a, a certain time where you know, you, you thought you can only be so risk averse, right? Was there any time that you guys recall that really, really tested your ability to progress and, and grow? Was there one that stands out in particular? Well, for me, it's 2008, I think, with the, the global financial crisis. That was when, when it really sort of felt that we, was just, we were just one, one customer uh, terminating their uh, contract with us from from sort of going bankrupt uh, and we didn't know what would happen right so remember when we were right in the middle of it we didn't know whether the financial crisis would be uh, solved in a month or whether it will be uh, several years and neither did our customers to be honest right so that was a real risk um, at the time uh, now, luckily enough, I think for us and for many companies, uh, you know, all the, the governments took action quite immediately uh, and within a few months, uh, most of the, the, the pain uh, from the sort of in the financial sector was solved, at least it didn't impact the real economy in the, in the way that everyone thought uh, in uh, September, October 2008, but that felt scary at the time. Yeah, but even though I mentioned the word the word risk averse, we've I mean we have been given opportunities and we have acted on those. I remember when we got the opportunity to to start our company in APAC, right? We had this uh, big customer called PCCW in Hong Kong, and they had at the time roughly thirty percent of the IPTV market share. So that was like the the holy grail customer. <laughs> 30% of the global, the global IPTV yes. subscribers. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So it they was, it was very early out back in the day. Uh, everyone else was late. I don't yeah, know. we actually had, so there was a, it was a competitor or, or somewhat of a competitor that actually reached out to us. And uh, we, we got the opportunity to essentially take over the staff, their staff and, and the account, which was uh, a fantastic opportunity. Um, we were skeptical at first because why, why would they give this away? But they needed to focus on on their home uh, territory. Um, but that was a that was a big opportunity and a big big step for us at the time. I yeah, mean, which is also the reason why we have a Hong Kong office, uh, which may seem like a strange choice. Uh, but that was the the we we took over that staff locally in Hong Kong at the time. Uh, back in 2007, 2008 or so. Uh, and from there, we built up our Asia presence. Awesome. Let's, uh, let's shift, uh, sh shift positions a little bit here. We're going to talk a little bit more about your expertise in general in the industry. So putting on your consultation hats, uh, over the time you've been leading Exedo, what have you seen as the common denominator that often leads to a successful streaming service? <laughs> All right, so we're, we're thinking about this. So, so I think the the um, uh, for for me, I think many of the the streaming services that fail start out with uh, not understanding the customer. Right? They they try to be a more of a me too service. They 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 do things. They they try to capture a too big of a market. They become sort of a me too service rather than than understanding 
what are, what is the customer groups what is the market segment that they're going after and then they're tailoring something directly for that uh, market uh, if you're going too wide it's extremely expensive to get customers and you will more likely than not have extremely high churn so most you know, video service that out there, uh, you can, they can build up subscriber bases, uh, but it's very, very hard to keep customers over time. And that's the secret to long-term success. Yeah, it's a similar answer, but a different uh, post in a different way. I, th I think too many are looking at Netflix and they are trying to copy the Netflix model, but uh, that that's actually something you should get fired for doing because it's it's most likely wrong for many, many, uh, service providers out there, uh, but too many have have looked at that strategy. I think, <clears throat> but I think at, we will see that the coming years there will be a shakeout for sure. And we'll, I mean, you're reading the news and you're seeing uh, what's happening. So, I think many companies have overinvested uh, by having that type of strategy. Yeah, and I, I would actually be if Netflix if Netflix would launch today even Netflix would fail with being Netflix yeah. because uh, they were successful because they were, were uh, they captured the early adopter market. They, they had the first mover advantage and they could build up uh, the global brand name and, and the reputation in a way that, that would be impossible to do today when the market is much more saturated. So now you need to be much more clever about it uh, than what Netflix needed to do yeah. back, back, back 10 years ago when they had their... Um, very rapid growth when they started with their original productions uh, and they could more cost efficiently roll out internationally remember before i think it was 2013 when they launched house of cards and and a few other shows but before that they, they had primarily licensed shows which meant that it was very difficult for them to roll out internationally because they needed to license content in every territory yeah. um and uh, it was cumbersome and expensive to do that is then the ideology to start small to think really particular about a market hone in on it and then expand outwards and i mean expansion is not a target per se uh so if you have a very um if you have a, the right niche market and niche doesn't necessarily mean uh special interest or something niche could be uh uh a specific sport or a specific country or a specific uh, use case uh whatever it, it, it's something that that attracts value it gives value to the customer and attracts attention uh in in your sort of target market um uh that could be super profitable uh, it doesn't have to be uh, a service that that tries to conquer the world uh to to be super successful um some of our customers can be be successful with uh if if they're using sort of a product uh, strategy uh to lower cost of, of distribution and it's existing content that they have you can uh, have a profitable subscription vd service at as little as 10 or twenty thousand subscribers if you have that special niche group um not super profitable, but you can be profitable. Uh, and for an Avod service, maybe you need a few hundred thousand uh, subscribers or, or users. Uh, but but you need to control your costs, and you need to know what you're targeting, right? So it's uh, it's really important uh, to think about the business case. Expansion is expensive, um, especially in the video industry, and it's easy to get the wrong customers, and then they will leave. And of course, that destroys your your business case. You've paid expensive money to get them, and then they 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 will leave after uh, you know a few months. Uh, if you can't tell where we're going, we're switching over to uh, a product focus here. So this one's mainly more for Frederick. Uh, what key features should content providers be looking for in a SaaS platform? Uh, well, again, it depends where you're coming from and what your objectives are. But I think um, one key thing is to make sure that whatever solution you pick is the right one for you now and going forward. So there are many platforms and solutions that might be right for you today, but as you grow, you will have different needs 
and you need different capabilities. So you need to make sure that you pick something that you can grow with. And I think that's a mistake many companies make when they make their choice, right? Uh, they um, might not look long term enough because many platforms are great for the need you have today, but uh, you will struggle to 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 grow with them, right? To add capabilities. Yeah, make sure the platform can grow with you. Makes total sense. And the reason why why you're saying this is because the migration from one platform to another is, is difficult, is challenging. So it's better to make the yeah, right choice. Exactly. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yes. And then just piggybacking on that, what features of A1 do you believe are under, under leveraged that you think could benefit our customers and other content providers? Specific features in A1. Um, so I'm, I'm still a true believer of, of the marketplace, which ties back to the first question. Uh, there's so much flexibility and with so many vendors and options that we have there. And, um, but it's, it's also a, a learning game for, for our customers to understand that they can, they can actually extend their solution with new providers and new functionality very, very easy by actually just clicking on a button. Uh, so there's a bit of a knowledge sharing there for, from us that we need to do. And, um, but also in, in terms of, um, we talked about making sure that you have a great differentiated service. We do have something, a service called service differentiation, where you can actually have different messages, different graphics, different features uh, towards different users. Uh, and that's something we see are picking up a lot um, from all the A1 customers because it's becoming more and more important to have that uh, uh, personalization, at least for different target groups. So for example, we have customers who have different, uh, different experience in different countries. Uh, and uh, we even have the option to have different uh, business models. So you could have uh, you know, advertising for certain target groups, or you could have uh, yeah, mixed monetization models for, for others or subscription and so on. So you can mix and match those to different target groups or different countries or different locations, et cetera. It's, so it's, it's quite a powerful feature um, that I think should be utilized even more. OK. Um, this is a rather broad question, but I'll leave it up to interpretation. But what do you think are the biggest challenges facing the industry today? <clears throat> Um, I'll start with one and, and, and you can take yeah. over from there. Um, so it's clear, I think, for, for all listening to, to this podcast that the industry uh, is uh, not in a great shape at the moment. Uh, and the reason for that, uh, and, and you know, this is of course tied to the macroeconomic challenges we have, which means that consumers are spending less, which means that many of the larger uh, media companies and, and operators are, are struggling to gain subscribers and their whole business model has been built on sort of growth which suddenly means that they need to cut costs and of course if they're cutting costs the vendor ecosystem will suffer as well so so it's all sort of goes around but i think one of the reasons why, why we have those challenges is that there have been unrealistic expectations for how quickly consumers change their behavior um any any sort of consumer industry uh when there is a migration from sort of one type of, of experience one technology to another technology it goes relatively quickly uh the first sort of um 10 or, or 50 percent of the audience and then the the the, the rest of the population uh, the late mass market and the laggards uh take a long time before they change their behavior sometimes it's even you know from a consumer perspective that certain people have to die off right the older people have to die off and, and new generations will pop up right so it will take a long time to transition from um the the sort of older style of, of watching tv and subscribing to multi-channel television to to sort of going to completely an ott world uh but of course it will happen so there will continue to be growth in the industry 
but it may not uh, con the consumer facing industry it may not be 20 to 30 percent growth year over year but maybe more like five to ten percent growth year over year which of course in a you know 10 20 year perspective that's that's not a bad growth but for now it it, it feels for, for many of these uh, providers video service providers it feels like hitting a wall i think from the post-covid um expansion that we've seen of the industry so i think it's about sort of uh, right sizing your expectations uh and maybe right sizing the way you're addressing uh the market i think many people have made many many companies have uh, invested way too much in an internal team trying to invent the wheel again and 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 trying to emulate the netflix model of having hundreds of engineers in the basement uh doing all of this whereas they should have bought standard components on the market or, or using um sort of a managed service model where where they can find a, a vendor who can do this uh, much more cost efficiently that that's my view of, of the current challenges yeah i have a similar view maybe just a continuation of that is um, but maybe this is just a matter of maturity because if you look at um, other industries they have gone through the same phases right but if you look at if you compare with the e-commerce industry today uh, no one will would start building their own checkout system and platform and, and and shopping platform right you would just buy something off the shelf but at the same time in our industry we have the last few years with thousands of companies that have done exactly that what michael mentioned and of course this will be the right play for for many of the larger ones but the the medium and and, and small companies uh it, it's clearly clearly can't be the right choice so um but i think this this would correct itself once the the maturity increases in the marketplace and people are starting to look at total cost of ownership and these things instead of just uh, launching something sexy yeah i mean we've seen that uh, it does take some time i think linear only just recently dipped below 50 percent of viewing share so there's uh there's still some there's still some time there and the same thing right wall street has adjusted its focus rather than focusing on subscribers it's now looking for profitability from all of these providers so it's it's interesting to see how focuses have changed in a quick amount of time and i just want to i just ask sort of a follow-up question there uh to michael and frederick is you know, you speak about macroeconomic conditions, and I'm assuming we're alluding to, you know, post-COVID. Does this uh, impacting different markets in different ways? I mean, surely it is, but um, can you speak a little bit to, you know, how that might be different in Asia Pacific, North America, and Europe and Latin America, if, if there's any difference at all? Uh we we can so um interestingly interestingly enough uh, this uh, the current macroeconomic challenges are, are more or less global in nature there are there are some exceptions but the vast majority of at least the um, developed world is suffering the same challenges to to some extent it's a very interesting uh, I'm, I'm no macroeconomic expert but it's an interesting crisis with high inflation and and uh, uh sort of almost a stagflation with with sort of dropping gdp numbers but at the same time we haven't seen any major impact on the um job markets uh you know of course there's slightly more layoffs now than there were a year ago but it's still not material in the in in the grand scheme of things so it's a very unusual um uh, recession if you will but despite this what happens if you have a falling real um uh, salaries, uh, so uh, salary increases are lower than inflation, is that people will need to spend less. Uh, and if they spend less, uh, they will obviously spend less on, on their media subscriptions as well. Uh, now, historically, uh, TV subscriptions, multi-channel TV subscriptions have been one of those things that they've kept and they have instead um, changed their other entertainment behavior. Uh, but still, there will be an impact for sure. Uh, at least there will be fewer new subscribers, less growth. But the main impact, the, the market, uh, not geographic market, but the market that has the, the, the biggest impact is advertising. So in any uh, recession, what happens 
when when uh, product companies struggle to sell uh, more and 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 uh, you have uh, less activity in the in the overall uh, economy is that you reduce the spending on advertising and i think this impacts media companies quite significantly advertising still makes this industry go round at the end of the day and and in some markets tv advertising have declined with 10-15% year over year and that that has a material impact uh, on our customers and, and the industry as a whole. Now that will of course change as soon as uh, the the um, macroeconomic conditions change, advertising will roar back. So I have no no long term doubts, but short term that that would certainly put pressure on our uh, customers to change. Well said. <laughs> All right, let's uh, jump over to something uh, coming up in the industry. What makes IBC so important and essential for the OTT and streaming industries at large? Oh, I mean, this this has this has How been many the IBC. <laughs> IBCs yeah, that, have you been at? <laughs> yeah, many. I think it's uh, twenty-five. Twenty-four. Yeah, it's, I'm ashamed. <laughs> Uh, but it's been one of those uh, get-together um, things, right? I mean, it's it's uh, especially now after COVID. I think it has there is this pent-up demand of actually meeting and greeting people, and uh, there's a lot of uh, industry gossip. And uh, normally, when you fly home from IBC, you have a good sense of where the industry is heading. Who's who is uh, in trouble, who has, you know, are making good progress and so forth. And if there are any newcomers, so it's, it's, a, it's a very effective way of getting up to speed, I'd, I'd say. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think nowadays, uh, neither I or Frederick need to be there, uh, to be honest. We have, uh, I mean, we don't need to meet customers. We have a fantastic sales team. Uh, we don't need to, to demo our products. We have a great team for that. Uh, the marketing team is is running the show, booking all the meetings. So it's so professional. These yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we did all of this back in the day. Uh, we have, it wasn't that wow. good. <laughs> we have photos to show you, um, and it didn't look very good. Uh, but anyway, um, so all of that is is uh, handled. So I think from our perspective, it's about getting that uh, feeling for how the industry is evolving uh not necessarily on sort of just the product technology because it's so hard to get a feeling for if if something is real by seeing demos at a trade show but just understanding who's uh partnering with whom which new companies are popping up um who who's acquiring who uh uh, and, and the sort of general sentiment. And you do that by, by just talking to people, uh, trying to understand sort of the the, the gossip in Hall 5. Uh, hall 5 is our hall. Um, yeah. And uh, finding out from sort of friends and, and partners, um, uh, you know, what they think about the current trends in the market. I think that's that's the big value. And I think that will influence how we see our business uh our business plan our strategy our view on the market development and i think that collective feeling of of the market is so important for us especially now when we're a bit of an inflection point everyone is wondering when when is this recession over when will customers change their behavior and go into sort of a more of an investment mode again we wish you a safe trip and frederick a uh, fantastic uh, 24 year anniversary at IBC. That'll be super fun. <laughs> yes. uh, moving on to the next question. From the work that Exito has been doing to lead the change in making the stream streaming industry more sustainable, what is your recommended first step towards sustainability for existing and upcoming streaming providers? I guess the obvious first one is to start measuring, right? Because if what you don't measure, you can't really. Um, improve. That's been the first big step uh, for us to start measuring and, and make a, you know, a commitment. Uh, then you can start working towards that goal. 
Yeah, I think there is also a, a big difference um, depending on what you do in the industry, right? So the, the vendor ecosystem is one thing, uh, but you have the, the customers as well. I mean, they have they they actually have a, an outsized responsibility, I would say, uh, because the media media companies can influence um, consumers in a way that is positive for the entire world. Uh, and, and some do, uh, some produce content which is sort of a show diversity or uh, uh, put a spotlight on, on, on climate change or, or any other important issues, uh, and, and some do less of that. Uh, and I think it is, of course, important that, that we all take, um, take it seriously, uh, and I think that's the important part, I think, at, at Exceda. We take it seriously. We're all human beings. We all want to uh, uh, make sure that this planet becomes a better place for all of us, and not necessarily only from a, from a you know, uh, environmental perspective, but also in terms of how we, we deal with uh, labor uh, rights across the world or, or uh, diversity and inclusion across the world. I think all of those aspects, um, even if we're a small company, we we need to do what we can do. Uh, and I think one way of, of us contributing to, to, to these values is for us to try to influence the industry. So our, our small contribution to um, sustainability is to make sure that we tell the story to all of our partners. We try to stimulate all of our partners to uh, to embrace uh, these objectives and together we can of course influence the entire ecosystem and influence our customers uh, and um, this industry is not huge and I, I think we as a global company have an outsized influence on, on sort of the customer base as well so that that's how we see it uh, it's all about sort of uh, partnering with everyone else to make sure that we share the same goals and try to do um, uh, the best we can at, uh, at, at sort of pushing through that agenda. Yeah, maybe that's a good tip as well to, to think about maybe there are other ways you can you can help the cause because in our, I mean, we set our own goals first, but then we realize that we are actually in a position to potentially convince partners to also step up. So uh, one good example of that is that at IBC, uh, with XC1, we will launch uh, a sustainability perspective in the marketplace. So our customers, when they choose between new features and functionality, they are not just rating those based on the classic in the classic matter, but they can also rate those uh, suppliers and partners from a sustainability perspective, because we think it's it's an important perspective to to share with our customers, and that will. Uh, of course, help our customers to become more sustainable, and it will also, uh, hopefully, in in a friendly way, uh, give our partners a, a friendly push to to look at these um, perspectives as well. Yeah, that's right. I, I think what is important, and of course, I don't know who is, is listening on this podcast, but you know, we were trying to reach out to to everyone, uh, partners, competitors. Um, industry experts, whomever, uh, and try to, to tell this, this story and to, to get them to you know, support us in, in telling the story. And, and if we do that, I think there is a, a, a better possibility for us to, uh, to contribute, um, uh, both in terms of you know, trying to uh, award or reward uh, the, the, the partners that take this seriously, uh, but also in terms of actually making an impact. impact yeah, 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 of course. Um, so what, what, what I think, uh, I mean, to just address your question, because I, I think uh, from, a, from a customer perspective, I think what Fredrik says is the right thing, right? So too many companies are not measuring, so they, they don't know, they don't have a baseline. Uh, and then it's so hard to, uh, to, to know what you're uh, doing. But I think some of the, some of the obvious uh, changes you can do as a video service are, are very basic, right? Uh, you know, stream uh, to the mobile phones with lower quality uh, 
it sounds sounds obvious, but but you know, uh, in too many cases, uh, you, I mean, the, the the actual streaming is obviously the big uh, environmental impact, both in terms of uh, power consumption, uh, which has an impact, and in terms of of actually, you know, battery and lifespan of the devices and and, and so on. Uh, so if you stream with lower quality, um, uh, which doesn't have a material impact on the experience on a small, small screen. screen. No. Uh, that saves you cost and would save the environment as well. Um, so if you want a concrete tip, uh, if you don't do that, uh, then start doing it. Incredible answer, thank you. It's, uh, it, it is great that one of Exito's core principles is to focus on sustainability and work to improve these. It is, uh, I think it's really important and uh, grateful to be a part of this. I, I'm uh, I'm going to ask a question here. This is the question I've been most excited to ask the entire time. Uh, so I'm looking forward <laughs> to some answers here. Although uh, viewership habits don't uh, change quickly, it doesn't stop uh, the industry from trying to innovate and bring new things in. So what are you two most excited about in OTT right now? Uh, let, let me uh, let me rephrase the question, and then I'll answer it, and then uh, I'll give it to Frederick to to answer about more exciting stuff. So, what I see as the what I'm excited about, but why I like uh, what I'm doing in this industry is the uh, the dynamic uh, aspects of this industry. Things change all the time, uh, and I think that even if we can complain about both our customers, the video service providers and the, the vendors, everyone is sort of adapting to, to things. Uh, and, and they're not afraid of trying new things. And I think this is, this is of course, uh, super uh, important um, uh, to try to capture what is the media consumer 10 years from now. And let's be honest, no one knows, right? We have no idea how the media consumer will, will, will behave 10 years from now. But we can, what we can safely say is that uh, media consumption will change in some way, shape, or form. And I'm personally quite excited about uh, the possibility. Uh, so I have two things um, I'm excited about in a 10-year perspective. So it's not right now. That's why I said rephrasing the question. So in a 10-year perspective, uh, I'm going to, to talk about... Um, sort of extended reality, uh, which I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about. So obviously it's still early days, uh, you know, still clunky devices and you have uh, challenging interactions and so on. But it's also clear that the speed of innovation over the past five years uh, in terms of re reduction in size of, of the headsets, uh, uh, computing speeds, uh, production equipment and, uh, and so on. Uh, it's been very rapid. Um, so um, when I look back at sort of when we started Exceder 2004 and, and the five years until the market really took off 2009, I think it, it's we're at the same uh, situation now. So in a five-year uh, period from now, I'm convinced that the consumer experience, I mean, it's not like back in 2004, you could still watch uh video over internet it would just was pretty horrible uh just as you can still sort of consume xr applications but it's not good enough for the mass market i think in a five-year uh, perspective uh the technology will have matured to make it sort of a um, dazzling experience for the consumer not next year not in two years but in in, in a five-year perspective we will be there then it's more about market penetration from there on. Uh, so that's that's the one of the two things I'm I'm excited about. So Frederick, what what's yeah I've been thinking. So I think actually maybe it's not one feature, but I'm quite excited about AI and see all the different uh, ways that uh, the companies in the industry will will use this and how that will benefit the, the consumer in the end. So I think we will see a lot more personalization mm -hmm. and and flexibility when it comes to video services uh, by using AI. And we've been dabbling a bit and experimenting and there's so much to do. So I think uh, we will get a taste of this at IBC and see what everyone has been uh, 
experimenting with and uh, in six to 12 months we should probably see a few of these things uh, in the market as well yeah that's uh was, was actually your second my second one <laughs> i thought that you thought about this i said it but anyway so, so i think uh, I'm, I'm super excited and i think in a 10-year perspective yeah uh, i think the the interesting thing will be from a, a generative ai perspective from a production, production as well. aspect yeah, yeah, uh, which of course opens up a whole Pandora's box yeah. of, of legal challenges on yeah. when, when you're sort of generating a, a, a video. Uh, imagine sort of a reality TV show with just uh, generated characters. Um, There's already a yeah. South Park thing. Have you seen this? It's, it's AI generated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've seen the South Park, yeah. We, we have some fun things we always like to throw in at the end. Um, so this first one is for Michael. Uh, as an as an angel investor, what are you interested in right now? What are you looking for in a business? Um, so uh, when when I do angel investments, uh, I will. I only want to do that when I sort of understand the underlying uh, business uh, goes without saying. So I think what I understand is business to business uh, software and services uh, and with a global ambition. I think that those are the important aspects. So what we've learned over the years with Exedo is, is to scale a company globally. And I think the, uh, what I'm interested in is, is companies which are right at the inflection point of, of sort of uh, taking the step with a sort of a proven product, a uh, few customers, but taking the step to go international. And for uh, sort of North American listeners, uh, go international uh, is so much more obvious if uh, you're based in Sweden, uh, where there is virtually no home market, uh, compared to sort of a, a, a North American context where the home market uh, could could satisfy growth for uh, the coming five or ten years um, so so that's what I'm looking for b2b software companies with the global um, aspirations uh, and potential awesome and I have a question here for Frederick uh, Frederick Michael Chan actually uh, Michael Chan and I had a conversation and he said that he was out in Sweden I believe it was at a conference of some sort and you and him were chatting and it sounds like you ran a half marathon just before your 9 a.m meeting he was quite impressed with that we have a lot of runners here i'm doing the toronto marathon uh, we're actually quite inspired by your story the, the half marathons before the uh the work day even starts i'm curious to know about your work routine uh coupled with your running routine and uh your aspirations for running what does running currently look like for you today well wow uh, I, I, well, I always always like to do long distance running and uh, long distance cross country skiing. Uh, there's many, I've solved many problems. Uh, those sessions, uh, it's, it's good for the brain, I think, to relax a bit. But I have no, I wouldn't say I have aspirations these days. I'm, I'm <laughs> on the older side, but I do like to keep in shape. Uh, so I do run half marathons and maybe even 30k. But I think. A marathon is is a bit too much for me these days. So, but no, no marathons planned. No, no uh, big cross country well, races planned. Cross country races, yes, and they are longer. But cross country skiing races, skiing, yes, yeah. yes, yes. All right. But you're doing your first marathon shortly, right? Yeah, we've got a marathon coming up here in a month and a half. So, yeah, great. Good luck, and remember that race starts after 30k. That's that's. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's true. I have a um, question for Frederick, uh, actually, if I, if I may. <laughs> so you say the race starts after 30K. Yeah. What's your tip to uh, survive the, the last 12K uh, to, to our Canadian friends? Do you have like uh, energy drinks? Uh, uh, do you sort yeah, of... you need to be hydrated all the time. Uh, and uh, remember that pain is your friend. <laughs> No, no pain, no gain. We've, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely felt that over the past couple of weeks here. So, last question before we go: uh, Could you give a milestone or a success story from Exito that you are most proud of? 
<clears throat> this is a good question. Uh, I think we've actually been we've been so aspirational all the time, and have been good at being very driven and looking at the next thing. We haven't really celebrated these uh, milestones. No, no I think you're right. So <clears throat> what I would say is the the milestone. Uh, I mean, a milestone for me, a really important milestone is if we hadn't passed that, we wouldn't be where we are today. Uh, and uh, the the one that stands out is the uh, Series A closing in April 2007. Uh, so, of course, at the time, we were sort of thinking, yeah, we can do this on our own, the terms are not good enough, and, and so on. But in hindsight, and the, the terms weren't good enough, uh, but <laughs> no entrepreneur thinks the terms are good enough. But if we hadn't done it, there is no way we would have survived the global financial crisis, and there is no way we would have grown to size to capture the immense growth uh, we had 2009 to 2013. Uh, so I think in hindsight, that was absolutely critical, even mm. if uh, we gave away 25% of the company uh, for a for, uh, million dollars or whatever at the time, which we thought was way too low. Uh, but, uh, I, I think it was absolutely the, the most important milestone. Yeah. yeah, I would agree. Great. Well, we wish you many other future successes so you can talk about more milestones that you can reflect on. Hopefully, you guys can take some time out of your busy lives to, of course, reflect on that and celebrate those wins. Very important. Michael and Frederick, before we go, do you have anything else to add? Uh, well, right now, uh, a lot of the focus over this side of the pond is, is on IBC. Uh, so the team is super excited to gear up uh, for IBC. Uh, for those of you who are listening to this uh, podcast, uh, stay tuned uh, to any announcements around the IBC timeframe. If you happen to be in Amsterdam, by all means, uh, come and visit us. Our booth is in Hall 5 somewhere. So looking forward to that. Yeah, IBC is certainly the focus. So I'd, I'd encourage everyone to come by and talk about sustainability with us. And I'll, I'll, I'll show them the marketplace and what we've done. Hopefully, that can be a bit of inspiration to, to, to partners and, and others. Fantastic. Thank you to Michael and Frederick for your time today. And of course, a big thank you to you, our listeners. As a reminder, you can subscribe to the Playback Podcast, which can be found on all major streaming platforms. or if you'd like to reach out to us directly, send us an email to playback.podcast at Have a great day.